Ogilvie survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Gary Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Standing in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is! Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. G'day everybody, welcome to the second episode of Inside the Ropes. Some said that we'd never get past episode one. Those naysayers have been proven incorrect. <laughs> it's lovely to be back here again with uh, Mark Hayes, Andy Ma over here, Hazy over there. Good to see you, big fella. You too, Murray. Short-term contracts will get that done. I think there's anybody who knows you and I knows that only to sign us on short-term contracts. It's the only <laughs> way they should operate with the likes of you and I. Correct. Uh, Joe Charlton actually has her own fan club after last week's first up hit. I suspect we're going to be having another one. As that chair revolves... Joe Charlton, that former, well, I shouldn't say former because he's still a card-carrying member of both the Ladies European Tour and the Australian Ladies PGA. Of course, Alison Whitaker, now the voice of golf all over the world, <laughs> joins us on Inside the Ropes on a very big day for the Whitaker family. Hello, Elle. Yeah, it's great to be here, guys. Uh, nice to be amongst some golf chatting company. Well, there's a lot to talk about. We should just say good luck to your family today. This is It is Thursday morning as we're recording the podcast. It's a big day for the Whitakers. It is. My sister's about to have baby number two this hey. morning. So um, booked in very early and uh, I'll be getting updates throughout the day. So it's going to be good fun if I seem a little edgy later on. Yeah, no, no. I'll we'll, let you know. We'll get this over and done with. Nice. <laughs> yeah, have you got the Scott Pendlebury clause? Can you just sort of bolt out whenever you, whenever if the news comes through early? You're just out? No, I'm in for the, I'm in for the long haul today, yeah. You don't, you don't start a job you can't finish. Well, one, so. of the, one of the things we're going to be talking about <laughs> later on with Stephen Pitt, the CEO of Golf Australia, is going to join us. Um, and we're going to be talking about the, the participation report that was brought out this week. And we need to put pressure on um, your sister and her sibling, particularly your daughter, daughter or son, her baby. If it is to be a girl, we need her playing golf, clearly. The numbers would suggest we know they're playing golf. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting talking point because when I grew up playing golf in Victoria, there was only one player within a probably 20-minute drive of me that actually played golf who was under the age of 18 for a female. So I had one person to play with and it turned into who was going to make the roles each week because we <laughs> we literally just played at yep. Kingston Heath and Vic um, repeatedly throughout the year, which is not a bad place to be in thing. yeah it's, it's really rough yeah. you know you know yeah learning golf at the two of the best golf courses in the world so <laughs> um but yeah and now I think we've got about at least 40 juniors at Victoria so um at, having said that participation isn't great there's still uh leaps and bounds that have been made in the last decade yeah we can joke about the numbers but we really need to make sure we get it trending in the right direction because it's just a, a clear black hole for Australian golf we need more women playing not not necessarily at elite level, just more women mucking around on a Monday afternoon at their local club and more women going to the range. It's a really important issue we need to address. I think there's a whole lot of stuff that we might have bits and pieces to say about that after we're talking to Pity. Uh, Brett Coletta's going to be joining us. It's a huge weekend in Australian golf with um, our frontline senior established players all over the place turning up. But particularly from a young Australian perspective, there are so many young Australian pros who have got an unbelievable opportunity in front of them in front of themselves this week? It's a massive week for young Australians around the globe, uh, particularly in the US. Tour there with with Ryan and 
Brett Coletta and uh, and also Curtis Luck. But uh, you know, not only that, there's a couple of guys playing in the Korean Open on the One Asia Tour. Uh, Matthias Sanchez and Cameron John and there's a handful playing in the Scottish Stroke Play Championship too and it's just a huge opportunity for them to press their claims and, and show sponsors and everything like that around the world not just in their backyard Now you talked about uh, you brought Hickory have you ever hit a Hickory shafted golf club? I have How did it feel? Interesting. <laughs> did you did you find the middle? Did it you know? Did you get that sweet spot? The that middle is about? much smaller on a yeah, hickory yeah. shafted club, and the grooves. I love the grooves when they're when they're just dots on the club face as well. Like they've just <laughs> yes. been printed on by someone with a what do you call it? A, a hammer iron. Yeah, yeah, forging iron. Let's go with that. But yeah. Um, no, yeah, well, I wouldn't put them in play. Well, you in brought, this day it, and age. You brought yeah. it up at one. And it's not not like us, Andy, to leave loose ends at the end of no, shows, but episode not. one left a very gaping hole. Alan Greaves was the answer to the question that I left hanging in the ether, and he's going to join us later today, too. We've got a special guest coming up in a moment. If you are listening uh, again or for the first time, make sure you subscribe to Inside the Ropes on iTunes. Uh, or you can download the show via the podcast app Stitcher, which I've never heard of. There's a lot of these sorts of things around. But uh, And if you do go to iTunes and subscribe, you have the opportunity to do a little review of the show. If you do do the review, if you feel that way uh, compelled, make sure you give us a four or five-star rating. Anything else we're not really that interested in, but give us the bigger rating. That makes it a bit easier for people to find the Just show. Just don't so even log on. Otherwise, it's a four exactly or five-star. Right. Exactly. Come on, guys. And tell all your friends about it. It's a really um, – it's it's, if you look, let's be honest. In the broader mainstream media these days, golf, I don't reckon, gets the representation that it deserves, particularly this time of the year in the eastern um, seaboard states where rugby league and AFL and over on the west, of course, dominate. So if you love your golf, it's a great one-stop shop to come to, particularly if you want to keep in touch with what Australian golfers in in particular are doing around the world. We're going to speak to senior East Bank golf writer Bob Harrig in a moment about the big story of the week. And even though it's a kind of go-nowhere story at the end, there is no conclusion to this at the moment. It's impossible if you've got golf people around a table at the moment not to talk about the next Tiger Woods chapter. We sat here last week, Hazy, yeah. and you, it was the, the morning we gathered last week, Al, was the morning that the Woods camp had put out the latest missive that I'm feeling great, no more surgery required, I'm going to be back playing soon. Hazy was speculating that it might have been at his tournament. Um, it was all blue skies. It was pl- it, was it was full steam ahead. Yeah, really for the first time in a long time, seemed like we had, a, you know, as you say, a resolution as to what Tiger might become in his next, uh, next coming, so to speak. But uh, yeah, it's taken a very nasty U-turn this week, and uh, unfortunately, what should have been an image of him you know stretching his back on the follow through or something like that is has now become a, a mugshot from uh, Floridian police force and you know the image of tiger's saggy eyes you know with lifeless almost eyes they were. uh horrendous and you know we saw one of the most interesting headlines in quite a while in the New York Post and I know we probably shouldn't go to New York posting very often but <laughs> the full full page mugshot of Tiger on the front page with the headline DUI of the Tiger. I mean, one of the great headlines. Credit to them. It was pretty clever. Yeah, yeah. but really sad in, in so many ways. Before we get to Bob, your thoughts on the latest development in the Tiger Woods saga? I mean, it's pretty disappointing, isn't it? I think that's a word that's going to be thrown out a lot. But, you know, especially going into this week, and, and it's always interesting when these things happen when there's a big tournament mm. being played and how... You know, all of the guys this week, that's the first question that they're getting asked. You know, I know that Jason Day responded saying it's just not the kind of news that you want to see. Um, defending champion William McGirt, he said that he you couldn't pay him all the money in the world. All of 
Tiger's winnings tax-free, all of his endorsements, he wouldn't take any of it to spend one day in that guy's shoes just because of how much public ridicule and scrutiny he's under. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how the PGA Tour um, community responds to it as well as everyone around the world. Well, the world has been interested in Tiger Woods from day one. There's no question about that. But U.S. golf riders have driven an in industry to a degree through you know the ascension of Tiger Woods. Bob Harry, senior golf rider for ESPN, is one of those. He's on the ground over there in America when we should be focusing on you know one of the great tour events of the year, the Memorial. Everybody's probably going to be talking about Tiger Woods. Jack Nicklaus was asked about it in his press conference when he sat there to welcome everybody to the tournament the other day. Bob Harry's been good enough to join us. Uh, Bob, thanks for your time on Inside the Ropes. Great to have you as part of the show. Um, your thoughts on the latest Tiger development. Uh, give us a snapshot on how you're reacting and how America, the American golf riding community has reacted to the latest chapter. Well, I cer- certainly think that uh, when it first came out uh, you know, Monday morning here, uh, there was a, a big sense of shock, obviously. Um, uh, you know, it's pretty... Uh, you know, pretty harrowing headlines. Um, obviously, the police mugshot uh, was not kind to Tiger, uh, and it's a serious, uh, a serious thing uh, that that he did. Uh, you know, like, I think first and foremost, and some somewhat lost is you know he should be quite thankful that he did not hurt himself or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the uh, to, to the the level of of, um, you know, sort of incoherence that he had and to be behind the wheel of the car uh, at that hour uh, is disturbing. You know, uh, it was a, um, you know, I think at the very least you you question uh, what kind of judgment did he have doing that? Uh, Or was was he so affected that he had no idea that it was going to get that bad? Um, He was nine miles from his home. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, after midnight. So all of that is just, it's just a, and it, and it still left us, as you guys were mentioning, that it was, it's not a closed, um, situation. We don't know all the details. Um, we don't know if this is a problem or if it's just a, you know, as he portrayed it, you know, uh, a bad mix of medications gone bad and it's a one time issue. Um, I'm not sure we'll ever get to the bottom of that, frankly. Uh, so, and and you know, he, he it's playing out again in front of the world, just just as his scandal from 2009 and into 2010 did, and it's uh, it's got to be hugely embarrassing for him, and 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 obviously, you know, puts quite a damper on you know the the seemingly positive spin that uh, they portrayed just a week ago. Uh, him feeling a lot better have after his latest uh, back surgery. So that's when it's so stark, Bob, isn't it? Because last, you know, last time we spoke of this, it was all roses, and now it's suddenly come up, uh, you know, in a black sort of mess. Um, we've heard stories. I don't know if you can enlighten us or not, but you know, there were this usual scuttlebutt in these sort of uh, issues that stories have already been changed on police reports and all that sort of uh, innuendo. Can you shed any light on that? Yeah, I'm. I... You know, I think that started because because the first reports that came out quoting police sources were were so erroneous from what the actual final report was. Um, you know, I, I, I you, you you like to think that that law enforcement is.
something like that. I'm not sure why that would be in their best interest. Um, but um, yeah, I mean that that has been a, that has gone around. But I I think for the most part, uh, the public is accepting of the police report, the, the 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 official one that has come out that alcohol was not involved, that this was pres- prescription medication, that he went through the protocols that that are called for in the state of Florida, which is to take a breathalyzer test. Uh, he had to give a urine sample. Um, they actually have uh, a video from the police car, uh, and and that has come out, and, you know, it's making the rounds now. You know, they, they show Tiger, uh, you know, going through some of the uh, requests of the police officers, and obviously it doesn't look real good. You know, he looks like he can barely stand up. He looks like he's sleeping standing up. Uh, so, um you know, certainly there's um, there's plenty there uh, for anybody who wants to pick it apart. And uh, uh, you know, the bottom line is that it's it's another negative in a long list of them for him uh, over the last several years. Bob, in terms of you know all of the drama from 2009-2010 sponsor-wise, I think it was Gillette that was pretty quick to to jump off the Tiger bandwagon. Is there any rumors, you know, in the U.S. media about any of his sponsors that are thinking about doing the same? Well, so far, uh, actually, Nike and Bridgestone. Uh, Nike, of course, the apparel. Uh, Bridgestone, he plays their golf ball. Um, they are saying that they are sticking by him, that they are not altering any plans. And, um, you know, uh, there, as far as the other ones, I, you know, the, there, uh, there have been no, no reports either way. I mean, certainly you wonder. Uh, and, and, I mean, let's be honest, he's not in the public eye. And so <clears throat> a lot of these companies are not exactly getting their money's worth. I, I would I would venture to say that most of his endorsement deals are tied to performance or uh, playing starts, and so their their exposure financially is lessened anyway. Uh, but certainly that is a has been a concern, and you know he's he has a you know a, a, a side career basically. You know he's a he's getting into golf course design. He's also got a foundation. You know these things tend to have a way of possibly hurting that mm. uh you know uh people shy away when something like this happens uh so i i also do think though that as we've said and and, and noted there there has to be a little bit of a degree of, of stepping back and making sure that that uh we're not overreacting because we don't really know the full story in terms of whether or not there's more to this uh, or if it was just a you know an, an unfortunate one-time occurrence. Uh, obviously, if there's more to it, and a lot of people have insinuated that, then he, he's going to need to get some help and get it straightened out. And, and frankly, what better time? He he was not going to be playing golf anytime soon. Um, that surgery that he had uh, six weeks ago now, he, he was he is required to really be careful for three or four months before there's any real strenuous activity. And, and the idea of swinging a golf club uh, violently, uh, that's, that is a long way off. So he has the time. You know, he's not going to be pursuing that for a while. And uh, if, he's, if he's got some other personal issues to take care of, now is the time. 
Bob, from back in 1996-97 when the Hello World introduction came, he's been pretty much carefully stage managed through his career by Mark Steinberg in particular. You've got pretty good communication channels with Mark. How's he going to stage manage this? This is a totally different challenge to the myriad ones he's already had. Well, I mean, they they did a better job of getting out in front of this by releasing a statement, which was Monday night, our time. But it was still, uh, we're talking a good eight hours after the news broke. Uh, they probably needed to get it out even sooner uh, because, obviously, this sort of thing, the photo, um, the conjecture, it, it, it gets a life of its own. Uh, the statement, obviously, he, he apologized. He explained what happened. Um, since we've learned that there, you know, that he cooperated to the level that he could, uh, given the condition that he was in. Um, but as far as taking it from here, my guess is they don't say anything else. I don't know that there will be any more. Um, Tiger isn't going to be in public anytime soon that we know of. Unless he shows up at his golf tournament, uh, in the Washington, D.C. area um, in a few weeks. And now that's quite, uh, you know, that's probably up in the air whether he does that. He might not want to take away from his own tournament because uh, clearly the first time he's in front of the media, he's going to get peppered about this pretty good. But I think that, that, I think that is their stage managing right there, that statement from the other night and then not say anything else. Bob, last one before we let you go, and this is a bigger picture and sort of broader beyond just what he does as a golfer, and I don't know how well you know him personally, but, you know, he's kind of grown up in this spotlight, he's lived his life in this bubble, he's been carefully managed, as Hazy mentioned to you. Has Tiger got perspective? Does he, is he, could you have a conversation with him about, you know, the kind of Donald Trump administration, or is he looking forward to you know, Game of Thrones, the next series, is does he is he the kind of guy that has his feet on the ground or has his life been heading towards the cliff because he doesn't have a, a kind of broader perspective for quite some time? Yeah, that's a really hard question to answer. I mean, in my conversations with him over the years, I get the sense that he, he has a good feel for what's going on in the real world. Um, he... You know he's 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 aware of of what's happening. Uh, he you know he he watches some of the t- same television shows we do. Certainly follows sports in in America like we like we do. Um, but you know does he have a sense of of other things that uh, you know that he that he might not grasp? I mean think about it. He he has been uh, for twenty years for his entire adult life. He's he's maybe taking taken a handful of commercial air flights. You know, like he's never had to deal with just the most basic of inconveniences, mm. you know, like the rest mm. of us uh, in those situations. He, he, the, the things like he's been so sheltered. He, he lives, you know, he lives uh, in a mansion that has a, you know, that, that's in a gated area. Uh, you know, uh, all, all these things, it's, um, he's, he's been so buffered from it. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, he, he's. I think it makes it hard to to be grounded. You know, he's not going to be a regular guy and just go out to a restaurant uh, or a bar or, or wherever it might be. I mean, how does he go watch a movie, for example? You know, it's with his kids. You know, I'm sure he can have the movie at his house, right? But 
that's not the way it really works. That's not the way that, you know, people enjoy film, for example. It's just one little thing. So um, it's hard to get a grasp on that and, and, and how that might be impacting uh, his life. Um, you know, it's sometimes you get the sense that he might be living a lonely existence. You just, you just really don't know. It's, uh, uh, and, and that's stuff that's very hard to get out of him. You know, uh, he's certainly not going to admit in public that he lives a lonely existence, uh, if he, if he is. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just, again, another, just one of the great mysteries about Tiger and, and, and what, I think what fascinates us all about him still, uh, after all this time. Mate, really appreciate you joining us on the show. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Hey, thanks for having me a lot, guys. Have, have a great day. Good you on too, you, Bob. Bob, thanks. Bob Harry. Uh, talking Tiger Woods with us here on Inside the Ropes. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. So there's a whole lot of other stuff to talk about. Brett Collette is about to join us. Uh, we'll review what's happened last week and obviously have a big look, for, big look forward to Memorial where B Collette is teeing it up with a lot of other young Australians. But we spoke about Tiger last week, Al, and before we get to Brett, we asked Joe Charlton and Hazy and I had our views on where to and if there is a next chapter from a golfing perspective in, in the Tiger story. Do you think he's, he's got another, another kind of string to pull in that regard? Well, I think after the last scandal, it really took him three or four years even to get back on a similar page um, of performance. So I think, you know, two massive scandals like this is going to be pretty hard to get past for, for any person. One of, the, one of the points I wanted to note of Bob's was actually uh, about Tiger's personality and Tiger and I have a couple of mutual friends and they always said that when they went to parties they one time Tiger said oh yeah why don't we why don't we go out on the boat and everyone just stopped and looked at him because he never asked anyone over to his house he never he was never that kind of guy that invited people in and so you have to wonder what these scandals are going to do to him mentally um, in terms of becoming perhaps even more of a recluse. He's been playing video games for the last yeah, no, how yes. many months with the, all of his surgeries. So, you know, you've got to maybe take that into account as well with the scathing remarks that I'm sure he's getting, uh, that he is human as well. Now, we're a million miles away from this, but it's the painkiller thing that worries me. We've, we've seen and we all heard, have heard stories about athletes in other, um, you know, sports who have developed unhealthy reliances on painkillers and the state that he was in when he was pulled over by, and the fact that he just didn't know where he was and the cocktail of medication and all that sort of stuff. If he's at a point now in his life where he's 41, 42, and he needs this stuff just to get through a day, and, and this is a million miles away, so we're just you know assuming this sort of stuff, but if that's what he needs just to get through his daily life because he's in so much pain... Um, He's he's in massive trouble. Well, he can he can be readily excused for having these available after a back fusion surgery, but it's the fact that he's having them at three in the morning exactly is the, is the issue because it tends to point 
uh, whether we're there or not, it tends to point to a social issue and not something that's medication related. Well, there's one young fellow who probably is interested in talking about Tiger Woods because he's grown up as a as a pre-teenager, as a little kid watching Tiger do his thing, but he's turned up at Memorial where Tiger's done some fairly handy things in the past and I'm sure he's got his eyes on the prize. I don't think uh, Brett Coletta's the sort of uh, young golfer who tees it up anywhere and doesn't give himself a chance of winning. He's been good enough to join us on Inside the Ropes. Uh, Brett, terrific, terrific to have you on the show, mate. Thanks for your time. No, no worries, guys. You're part of a little flotilla of um, of Australian golfers and a lot of young Australian golfers who are turning it up uh, over there. Um, what, what are your what do you what do you think you can do in this you know superstellar you know elite field over there this weekend? Yeah, you know, we had a meeting earlier today or an interview with the guys over here. And, you know, it was a bit of emphasis on a young Australian um, this week. I think there might be 10 or 11 teeing it up this week. But, you know, the emphasis is really on us young guys. So there is a spotlight element out there. But, you know, us, especially probably the three of us, Curtis, myself and um, Ryan, being the really young ones, you know, putting the spotlight on. But, you know, I think it's really good, you know, for, for the game of Australian golf and, you know, it's really good for Jack to invite to his tournament to do that as well. Brett, can you believe that, mate? Like, you know, you've sat in interstate locker rooms or Australian team locker rooms or anything with Ryan Ruffles yep. and Curtis Luck. Here you are today at Jack's place. It's almost inconceivable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we always had, you know, as young golfers playing, you know, you always have this vision of getting to this level. It's just a matter of when. And, you know, to be honest, it's come a lot quicker than I thought. Brett, I heard you even got to meet the great man on, was it on Sunday you had a chat with him? Yeah, yep, on Sunday. Can you tell us a little bit about what kind of things you, you covered? I believe you were talking to the superintendent at the time and then uh, and then Jack popped on over. Yeah, no, I was, I was talking to the tournament director on uh, Sunday. It was myself and Hideki Matsuyama on the putting green. <laughs> Is that all? Name and, dropper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... Um, yeah, I was talking to the director saying, you know, this is amazing. Thank you for everything so far. And, you know, they take such good care of you here. And up comes Jackie's little convertible golf cart. And, <laughs> you know, we had a good chat for probably 10, 20 minutes. And, yeah, it was just really eye-opening to you know, talk to arguably the best golfer ever. So in terms of your development... Um you know, I met you young blokes, you want to win everything and you you know, you want to do you want to do it all now, but you know, you're in this game for a long time and in terms of your development, yeah. h- how important is it for you to look around, know that you're sharing a putting green with the best players on the planet and not get overawed by that, get used to being in those surroundings? Yeah, it is it's a fine line, Andy. You know, it's you are rubbing shoulders with the best out here and you know, it does take a few goes to get used to, you know, you kind of you don't want to get overexcited by it, but you don't want to go too far on the other end, get to, you know, I don't know if you can even go down that other path, but um, yeah, it takes a few goes, definitely. I got caught off guard, first of all, at, um, at Pebble Beach when I got to go there, you know, rubbing shoulders with, you know, you know the best in the world and some with celebrities and CEOs and <laughs> massive corporations. So, um yeah, it's definitely, like I said, it takes a couple of goes, but, you know, I feel much more comfortable now talking in the locker rooms and, you know, get up and close and personal with the guys. So, no offence, mate, but what does a young fella from Melbourne talk to Jack Nicholas about? I don't want you to detract from your kids, <laughs> the stories you're going to tell your grandkids, but give us some insight into what you guys chatted about. We talked, yeah, I mean, it was a blur, really, but, 
um, he asked for me because he obviously he does a lot of people. He asked me for a quick verbal resume. And I kind of put my thinking cap on <laughs> real quick, trying to, trying to really think of something. I just reeled off what I did last year, basically, and you know, seemed kind of impressed by it. So, yeah, you know, we just talked a little bit about his golf course. You know, I asked him a few questions about his time. You know, it wasn't really in my era, um, so I didn't really have too many, you know, shots or, you know, feelings that you guys would probably remember a bit more about. But, you know, it's obviously a massive age gap, but, you know, we had something to talk about. What did, what did he know about C-grade at Woodlands? <laughs> <laughs> what, div, what is it, Div 2 pennant? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so how are you hitting them? Yeah, um, played nine holes today, actually, with Curtis and Ryan. Um, yeah, I'm in good stead. I'm, uh, it's going to be a really good challenge and a good test. Um, this afternoon it was blowing, you know, gusting heavily, probably 25, 30 mile an hour, and the greens, you know, it's such a, you put it, you look on TV, but it does no justice. It's really, you know, it's, it's a proper golf course out here. Um, you know, whoever does well this week really does deserve it. And you know they're playing well. Brett, you referred to your last twelve months that you reeled out to Jack. Did you know? Obviously, you had glandular fever last year. That was pretty pretty massive to any golfer in terms of how tired and lethargic yep. you feel. And then you had a little stroke of luck, obviously at, at the Canadian school, Q School a couple of weeks back. And I understand that you're about two hundredth reserve going into that week. And then slowly but surely, you you made your way up the list. And so I feel like maybe you know, did do you feel like your luck's changing a little bit? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't put it down to luck. You know, that, things happen for a reason. I believe. Um, you know, whether getting sick last year was an omen or a, or a byproduct of what's going on now. But you know, I take every day as it comes. Um, not really looking too much into the past, just kind of looking forward and seeing what I can do to better myself every day, basically. But, um, yeah, but looking back and you know, having a dark time in the middle last year and you know, having a really bright uh, upcoming towards the late last year, it's almost extreme to extreme. Mate, three great courses around the Pebble Beach Pro-Am and now Muirfield yeah. Village there. Is it going to be pretty hard for you to come back and chop it around Albert Park? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Albert Park. I've never played Albert Park. <laughs> <laughs> You've probably gone slightly past that. Yeah, With no, all due respect to Albert Park, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean. Like you've, you've jumped in at the deep end here, haven't you, mate? I mean, you're not mucking around with the lesser-known courses. Yeah, no, very deep. Um, I don't... You know, when you really come out the other side and kind of look back in is when you realise, when you're in the moment, you don't really realise you're just focusing on your game and... Yeah, it's, it's, it's all happened very quickly. Um, but, you know, these things happen, um, and you've just got to take it on board, and you've got to be ready. So, Brett, further than this, we don't want to look too far past the next four days, uh, and we really appreciate yeah. you coming on on, the, on Tournament Eve. But, uh, you know, you have got a great opportunity up in Canada coming up, and I believe you're going to Vancouver Island next week, a, a beautiful spot on the west coast of Canada, and uh, you've got a big future laid out for you in Canada this northern summer as well. Yeah. You know, it was really good, you know, talking before how it was, you know, heavy reserve. Um, but, you know, just climbed down, you know, withdrawals and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, fortunate enough to get in and fortunate enough to play well to gather a card for, 
you know, quite a substantial amount of time. So, you know, it, it does take a lot of pressure and it gives me essentially a job for the next kind of three months um, to play over on this side of the world, which ideally is perfect. You know, keep it up competitive in between weeks of playing, you know, these big events. Well, mate, if you win this week, that all changes pretty quickly. So, uh, mate, all, all the best. Look, Hazy and I have been banging on about the hashtag golden era for a long time. And, you know, anybody who tunes in this weekend to see the young Australians who are carrying the flag again and get an example as to why we've been banging on about it for the last three or four years, good luck. Really appreciate you joining us and I uh, hope you have a great weekend. Beauty. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Andy. Um, appreciate it. Good on you. Brett Coletta, who's teeing it up. And it's, I mean, he he mentioned the three names. It runs a whole lot deeper than that. But if you want three under 22 year olds to be flag bearers, you've got three fairly handy players that he mentioned right there. Well, they're all under 20. None of them have turned 21 (laughs) yet. They're 20 and under. So it's unbelievable. Uh, and they're so um, have got such a great affinity with the media. So I think this era, as you can hear there, is going to be full of people who actually interact with their people at home. Brett's just a magnificent example of that he's, he always pays tribute to the to the VIS and Marty Joyce and all the people who have got him where he's got to. Uh, and he he won't change. That's that's who he is. And just one thing, Andy, before we go, yeah. there's 12 Australians pegging it up it's great. at the memorial. It's nearly 10 percent of the field, and I just think that's one of the most breathtaking statistics you'll ever find in the world of golf. Yeah. And they're playing all over the place too. It's not just there. You look anywhere else around the world this weekend and there are Australians all over the place playing. Um, so look, before we get to Stephen Pitt's not too far away from joining us, we're going to be talking the participation report. But we should go back last weekend and have a look at what happened, particularly on the major tours around the world. Dina DeLuca gets won by Kevin Kisner, who's just a – he looks like a grinder, is a grinder, is a grinder. He looks like he – works hard on every single shot he plays. So he gets the result. Um, it wasn't necessarily a great weekend for the Australians. Leishman and Luck were the best of the Australians, about 10 back. John Rahm's a player. I, I just bef- wouldn't mind just getting a thought from both of you um, here on Inside the Ropes about him. In terms of guys who uh, draw your attention and you gravitate towards when they're playing a golf tournament, how, are you excited about, how, how excited are you about what this young Spaniard is bringing to the table? I think, personally, I think that he's Europe's uh, version of what Dustin Johnson was a few years back. When you see a guy that's so dynamic and such a long hitter, it's so easy to get drawn into that supernatural feeling a guy like that can create. And, John, that's what I think that he's headed towards. It's a really good way of putting it. And Phil Mickelson's brother was his coach at Arizona State University, I believe, and and uh, he's packed it in after a million years there just to go and be Rama's manager. And I think that probably tells you <laughs> where he's going. So, uh, yeah. you know, he's a freak show. And what's more, he's a ripping bloke. He was down for the World Cup for Spain. And he's just mucking around in the rain, driving rain at Kingston Heath and talking to the people who bothered to come out and see him. And I think he's going to be that engaging sort of a character too. He certainly looks that way. Jordan Spieth, from a noteworthy perspective going forward, looks like he started to... He's just had a little struggle the last sort of month and a half and he finishes in a tie too. So he looks like he's um, getting his game back, which is, you know, the timing of that's probably, you know, Pretty good, given what's just around the corner over there in the States. Uh, the, the PGA Championship over at Wentworth is always a great event. 
Did you guys see any of this? You see the final round? Alex Noren's final round. Oh, well, <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> was unbelievable four hours, but his last two were just off the charts, Ali. Yeah, and I think the way that he finished as well, hitting it to like, I think it was five or six feet, <laughs> sliding left to right, uh, eagle part. And he ended up winning, I think, by two shots because of that eagle. Um, but absolutely incredible final round. He said it that morning that he didn't even think about winning. Like it wasn't even on his radar that um, anything like that could even happen. And so he was pretty over the moon. I think it it's win number five in the last 12 months, maybe. So Might he's launched him up into, I think, into the top 10 in the world as well. So not too shabby. Uh, I think he actually chunked one into the drink on 18 in the third round. And so you're sort of headless about what his fourth round might be because he'd blown what he thought was any chance of victory. And he started, um, obviously, at one under a mile back from anyone. And, you know, he, he was 11 full groups behind Andrew Dote or in front of Andrew Dote, I should say, on the course. At an hour and 55 minutes, he'd teed off. He was hitting his eagle putt in as as uh, Dote was playing the ninth. I yep. mean, it's you, you never hear that happen. And at that stage, Dote's still in the mix. He's actually holding up okay, and then he goes bogey, par par, double bogey. I think it might have been th- through the first six on the back nine. So he's, you know, the, the house the house has fallen over. To his credit, he birdied 17 and 18 to get it back to 17. He had Dimmy Papadatis on his bag too, which I noticed yeah. in the coverage. I was going, oh, that bloke's familiar. That's Papadatis. How cool was that? It was I awesome. Mean, two weeks off his own win at the WAPGA out in Kalgoorlie. In Kalgoorlie. I don't even know how he got to Europe that fast from Kalgoorlie. <laughs> exactly. like, he rode a kangaroo or two. But, um, yeah, and I think that's something that's very unique to Australian golf. It's something I've always re- been really proud of um, in terms of our tour families is that it happens on the LET, it happens on the Sumatra where you see players that don't have anything to play in going out and caddying for, especially for the better players, because there's so much to learn and there's so many ways to play golf that I think any chance you get to have an inside look is important. And Dimmy was over there, obviously, to help out, but the next day he's up pegging it up in the US Open qualifier at Walton mm. Heath. So, you know, it, and and there's heaps of Aussie support out there too, and, and we might talk about we some will. of the success we had there. We will. We'll do that a bit later on. Do we we spent a lot of time looking at the top end of leaderboards and who was the best placed Aussie. I, I'm going to throw it out, and I don't know whether either of you have got any intel on what's going on with Nathan Holman, but we all saw him win the PGA Championship in 2015 back here, and a couple of the guys he beat – you know, Lombard and Fratelli, they're starting to make their mark. And since then, Nathan Holman's had a really tough time of it. He's teed it up 37 times since winning the PGA Championship. He's missed the cut in 20 of those 37 tournaments. He's withdrawn in two of his most recent four uh, events. He's only had one top 10 uh, in that period of time since 2015. He was he got it to one forty nine in the world official. He's now four eighty six after the withdrawal last week when he's about eight over after six holes. Um, is there what's going on with does anyone know what's going on with Nathan Holman? Oh, this guy's got a lot of game and he's a good young player. It's a worry when you see somebody go through this kind of tailspin. Yeah, I mean clearly troubling scores that he's returning. He's never one to shirk away any issues though, right. Nathan. He's a, he's a ripping young fella above being a good golfer. Clearly, you don't win the Australian PGA Championship by mistake. Mm. Uh, but he, he confronts issues and I'm sure hopefully we'll get him on. He's, he's not the sort of guy to dodge calls. So we might try and get him on in the next couple of episodes and, mm. and uh, have a chat to him and see what he's thinking about it because it is hard from afar to tell any of these things. And as Ali knows all too well, we spend a lot of time away from Australia as travelling professionals. Uh, sometimes we're a bit detached, so maybe the reality might come home on our show in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, the women's game, of course. Last week we talked about Minji Lee 
not f- signing her final round card, which was it cost her a fair bit of you know the folding stuff. Um, she, she bounced back. She didn't get the result, but that was an outstanding performance <laughs> by her in the Volvi. Yeah, I think yeah. she was listening to the podcast where <laughs> Joe had a crack at her and then Hazy had a crack at the LPGA. But um, yeah, I mean, I'd expect nothing left from Minji. And, you know, she took it right down to the final hole. For those of you that don't know, she actually, uh, she it was a, it's a reachable par five, the final hole there. Um, just mucked up her second shot, pulled it left and long and had to take drops, trying to get around grandstands and everything. And so walked away with a par, but um, essentially it meant that Shan Shan Fung had uh, an opportunity to, to bogey for the win. Um, and anytime you have someone like Shan Shan breathing down your neck, I think that adds to the pressure as well on those final holes for, for Minji, where you know Shan Shan's probably not going to make bogey. So again, forcing the issue and it's great to see her playing well. Can you clear something up for me, Ali? You, you, <laughs> you don't know, there's no one in the world knows these players better than you. Shan Shan Fung. I've wasted 10 years calling her Fing. <laughs> yeah, it's Shan Shan Fung. It's actually, if anything, it's more Fung than Fung, but yeah, not Fang. Sorry, mate. There you go. Right. <laughs> Education. This so is, this is why, this is, yeah. This is why this podcast plays a very, very important role in our greater and deeper understanding of the great game of golf. Correct. And why Ellie is, is professional, not only <laughs> a golfer. Exactly. Uh, just before we get off the women's game, we spent a lot of time talking, obviously, about Minji in recent years and Suo to, you know, a, a slightly lesser degree, but, and the prism of women's golf's been lived through Kari Webb for such a long time in Australia. Sarah Jane Smith's been quietly going about her business in the last sort of 12 to 18 months, and she had another fantastic. Fantastic result over there on the weekend. Yeah, I was actually going to bring her up if you guys didn't, because to me, she's one of the most underrated players that goes under the radar so much in Australian media media here that, um, yeah, she, she's so good. Mm. And to me, when I was growing up, she, she's only, say, two or three years older than me. Um, she really was a benchmark when she was playing as Sarah Jane Kenyon. Um, if you Google Sarah Jane Smith, you find almost nothing. You look at the other stuff, you'll see all of her amateur record <laughs> yeah, pop right, up like yeah. it's no one's business. And, and a few other photos. Yeah, <laughs> true. Let's not talk about that. But <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's all it's all above the board as a calendar. But anyway, so um, yeah, she, she actually went through a tough time just out of her amateur days where she had a car accident. And again, not something that's spoken about very often. Um, most of the people that were in golf at the time knew about it, but... Um, yeah, she did well to even get back to playing golf, but seriously talented. One of probably, if you gave me an option of picking one player that would shoot 65, I'd choose her because yeah. she can go seriously low. Um, and she has done that in the last couple of weeks as well, where she can she can prove her, her worth on a golf course. It's amazing, Ali. She's gone past Kari in the world rankings. Mm. It's, it's an incredible achievement because, as Andy says, we, we all just sit here. Kari's our best. What else have we got coming up? Sarah Jane's joined the list of people gone past Carrie, and Carrie's not, you know, she's not playing brilliantly, but she's not chopping it either. Sarah's just, she's lit up. Her career's really starting to blossom. She is, and I think it's what we expected from players like Sarah, but also Sarah Kemp when they turned pro. Mm. They were the golden generation for my generation. Those were the players that we really, you know, we we all thought and hung our hopes on um, in terms of getting those first LPGA wins and creating something in women's golf in Australia, a, a different kind of hype that Kari brought in the late 90s. Um and Sarah is one of those, you know, she's just, she's the best. Mm. Like this is a girl that is, everyone will tell you that she's the nicest player on tour. She's not. 
All right, I can tell you she has a ripping sense of humour. The amount of times that I've been in tears because she's just come off with like a one-liner and um, her husband, Dwayne, got hot, uh, he got voted the hottest caddy, I think, or hottest partner on tour. And I couldn't think be- of two nicer people to spend an evening uh, with. He beat Jeff Artis? <laughs> Amazing. No, I know. I'm not sure Jeff Artis actually got a vote. Sorry, mate. But <laughs> no, so it's, it's great to see her playing well and uh, she's obviously finding some form. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows? Maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. So what we're talking Sarah Jane Smith, which is an interesting segue into the Golf Australia participation report, which I know you're, Alison, pretty keen to have a chat about. It was released this week and, Hazy, you've had to um, you know pump out the information for the rest of us to dissect. But there's some elements of it, and Stephen Pitt, the CEO of Golf Australia, is about to join us, that I imagine from a... You're not here just to talk female issues because you're a woman, but from from the female perspective, there's some slightly troubling data that was revealed as part of that participation report. Yeah, I I read that only I think 15% of the new members um, were female, and I think there's been a 3% decline in membership as well um, from the female side. So yeah, it is troubling, and it's something that we need to address. I feel lucky that I was able to to get access to this report and be responsible a little bit for the women's side of the game in Australia. I think I implore all pros to to take responsibility for golf in your part of the world because I think it's something we need to do and it's going to be good to kind of just scratch away at this issue a little bit and, and have an educated discussion about what we can do going forward. I don't want to drop her in any hot water or anything and maybe it will die before it ever gets off the vine but I heard that Stacey Keating stroke Peters is also passionate about this and she's going to perhaps fire up and uh, do some research at some point too and soon, at some point soon as well so uh, I think it's personally fantastic, Ali, that you, you feel responsible, not that you need to, but you know it, it's a critical thing, as I said earlier in the podcast, Andy, to get women involved at all levels, from club committees right through. It's just a huge gaping hole in what we're trying to do. And if you're looking to grow the game, um, there is an obvious target area through which to grow. And I'm sure it's an area that Stephen Pitt, the CEO of Golf Australia, is fully aware of, and I'm sure probably agrees with what you two have already said, and he's been good enough to join us. Hi, Stephen. G'day, Andy. How are you? I'm good, Mark, mate. Alison, the, these reports are—they're yeah, always, you know, interesting—and uh, they give us a bit of a, you know, a bit of a—they um, shine a bit of a light on where the game's at. And, and generally, you know, media want to focus on the negative rather than the positive. So, we're talking about the women's game. We, are you alarmed? Are you disappointed? If I ask you how to respond to the female numbers from a participation perspective, where, where are you sitting on that? I think there are some things that are really concerning. But it's not just recently. I think what's really interesting when you look at uh, membership trends going back to 1970, so the the report includes um, membership data right back 
on a year by year basis back to 1970. And what we saw is is men's membership numbers really really grow through that period of 1970 to 2000, and and almost doubled from 200,000 to 400,000. But we didn't see the growth in female membership to, to actually go along with that. Female membership stayed pretty stagnant. It had a couple of years of growth here and there, but it was pretty stagnant. And then as we've come down the other side um, and men's membership has, has shrunk a little bit, women's has shrunk more, particularly in the last five or six years. And, and in that time... We've seen the men's membership stabilise pretty well. So if you look at that, it's really interesting and it probably supports a case that as an industry and clubs haven't done a very good job with connecting with women over a long period of time. And there's some societal things that happened in that period like women going into the workforce and in much greater numbers. Um, and I think golf clubs haven't adapted to that they haven't connected with working women in particular, uh, and those are things that need to change. But there's some, I think, golf needs to address some deeper seated issues, um, and, and one of those is just the the poor percentage of female golf coaches that exist in the in the system. Um, so right now, female membership's at about twenty percent, which is something we'd love to address and love to get it up towards thirty percent. Uh, in a definable period. But to do that, there's other aspects of the industry that need to come along. We do need to get more female coaches on board. There's no doubt that female coaches, I think, will help drive female golf. They'll connect with, particularly with young girls coming through and help bring more women into the game. So there's those sort of things. I think clubs, a lot of clubs uh, haven't really addressed golf for women particularly well. We see clubs where there's there's no women on boards and, and club committees and those sort of things have to change as well. It just needs to be a much better pathway across the board to connect with, with women's golf. Yeah, I couldn't agree more and I, I do think, Stephen, perhaps we haven't found the formula to wrangle in those women that are in that 18 to say 40 year old age bracket into the game because obviously the the report showed that the average age of women was, I think, eight years older than men at 62. Men's was 54 years old. In terms of initiatives that we can put in place, I think that's probably, at least from my perspective, a place that we need to look at. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and that's probably one of the concerning things. The, the age difference with male to female that you've touched on there, Alison. And if you look at our junior girls, the numbers just aren't strong enough. Um, and again, I think the ratio of junior girls uh, to boys is about 15%, uh, and we, we should be doing better than that. Uh, we've got My Golf out there as a program. Um, if it can grow and if it can convert more of those kids to club membership, it will help address that issue um, without a doubt because the numbers in My Golf are, are much stronger in terms of, of girls. But, um, I mean, that's a worrying fact we just need to get I think more clubs who are cluster clubs for young girls to, to provide an environment where young girls want to be and want to play and are enjoying themselves and I'm, I'm not sure that's happened particularly well around the country. 
So with those with those coaches, Steve, you're mentioning, uh, we've you know we've seen Lisa Jean manage the Victorian team. We've had Tammy Durden manage one in South Australia. I think uh, Lisa Newling from the Sapphire Coast in New South Wales is about to take an Australian team to the World Junior Championships in Japan. Uh, what would you say to people considering those roles, young women and, and uh, PGA professionals who are considering uh, putting back into the women's game? I, I think that's absolutely critical. And I, often there's more challenges for women in that space, um, just trying to juggle more responsibilities than typically male coaches do. Um, and that's, that's an issue that we need to be aware of. But I think, yes, we want to get more girls into that pathway and, and pushing up the high-performance chain, if you like, and managing teams and ultimately being part of the National Coaching Network. But before that, I think we need to address the issue at grassroots. So, so right now, we've only got somewhere between 120 and 150 female coaches, PGA coaches, out of about 2,800, and that's that's a really bad ratio. Um, so it's, it's how do we address that? And there is a working group that's actually been put together uh, that'll be co-chaired by Kari Webb and Shani War. Uh, and it's one of the issues that it's looking at is how do we address those sort of uh, numbers because they're just, they're just too weak uh, at the current time. Um, and it, it will have a flow-on effect if we can get more female coaches at the grassroots level. It, it'll take time, so this needs to be a, a longer-term vision uh, rather than just trying to fix everything in 12 months. But if we can have a longer-term vision of getting more coaches at that level and then flowing right through the pathway, that's going to have an impact. There's a current trend at the moment, and I, I say it's a trend. It's really only one person, and that is Stacey Peters. <laughs> um, she was part of the you know, the Victorian victory at the Interstate Series for the women's side of things. And, and I saw her over there, and I wrote her a message and said, I'd love to be involved in that. Like That is something that I happily have in the past put my hand up for. I know that she's going to, I think, Scotland either this week or next week with a couple of teams as well. And she's not playing there. She's helping the next generation. And so... Perhaps that's a, another avenue where we can start to filter in some more talent to help that that grow. Yeah, I totally agree, and, and Stacey did an amazing job uh, over there in Perth, and I heard that from a range of sources. So uh, uh, without a doubt, that's the level of expertise that we need to tap into. But, it, but again, that's for the higher levels. It's The challenge is, is that level too, but it's also the level below and getting more uh, girls through grassroots coaching. Stephen, there's two, um, you know, kind of pivotal aspects to any of these kind of participation reports. One is the amount of golf being played in Australia, and the other one is memberships around the place. And, um, you know, one is a good news story and one is a not-so-good news story. Let me focus on the not-so-good. What, what's happening in New South Wales? Why why Victoria, South Australia, they seem to be holding their numbers and there's marginal growth, which is a great thing in a difficult climate, and yet... New South Wales seems to be, um, you know, bleeding uh, members at a, at a kind of um, inconsistent rate. What, what's happening in that state? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point, um, Andy. And, and the issue is because New South Wales is, is so big, when New South Wales has down years, it has an impact on overall Australian golf. Um, but it, if, you, if you track New South Wales membership over the last 11 years... Um, they represented 40.4% of all club members in Australia uh, 11 years ago. It's down now to 37.1%. So that's been a really dramatic drop-off over 11 years. Um, 
And again, they had a, I think, you know, the total membership loss in the last 12 months was 3,100 roughly, and I think 2,800 uh, was the loss in New South Wales. So you can see what an impact it had. Uh, so there's no doubt that there's a worrying trend there. Um, so it's something that we'd like to work with, you know, Golf New South Wales uh, on, on how that can be addressed to look at what the issues are and what's going on. I mean, this participation report is really, really helpful, but there's a whole new wave of information coming. We've reacquired GolfLink, and with that, we're going to get some some incredible data that we can start to really break down even further and get a much, much better understanding of what's going on within not just states, but regions and, and ultimately clubs. Um, and if you look at New South Wales, it's probably been... They just haven't quite attracted as many golfers um, as other states. Um, their attrition rate isn't too bad, um, but it's just that they're not attracting new golfers to the game. So I think the focus in New South Wales needs to be on increasing the pipeline of golfers you know, into the game um, and working at how we can, we can address that because they, they still have uh, a strong number of clubs and I think they're number of members per club is higher than any any other state. And usually, if you've got bigger clubs, they're doing better than the smaller clubs. That's the trend across the participation report. So I guess we need to get to the bottom of that and see what's happening um, within that state and how we can work with um, you know the bodies to, to try to address that um, and, and make it stronger. Stephen, you mentioned you know, in terms of working out how to feed more people into those golf clubs. And one of the positive things that came out of this report, we've kind of talked about some of the the negatives, but one of the positive things was, in my opinion, what the report told me when I read it was an increase in social golf. And I think that that's something that we can't ignore is the way that people want to play golf um, coming into, you know, the the current day and age and how to engage. Um, is that something that is, is on the radar? Because I know there's things like Top Golf where you can go and you can hang out and there's targets and, you know, and drinks and everything. And, and it turns it into an event which can be shared. Is, is that something that, you know, Golf Australia can, can look at um, enriching going forward? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, we have focused on the negatives so far, but, but one of the positives is social golf club membership, which is an option for people who aren't going to join golf clubs, particularly, you know, might be a stage of life thing. But I think coupled with that is the number of young members we've seen come in. So 50% are under 45, 70% are under 55, and then 33% are under 35. So they're really good numbers for golf. If you think about those people under 35, you can potentially have them as members in your sport if, if your retention rates are really, really good. You could potentially have them members of, within your sport for the next 50 or 60 years. So there's some, some positivity there. And I do think that's a reflection that clubs, not all clubs, but a number of clubs have made a concerted effort to attract new members. That They've understood that their membership profile is, is getting older and they need to address that. So that, that's positive, and I congratulate the clubs that have been proactive in that space. For golf, though, there is some excitement coming in things like Top Golf, and it's something that Golf Australia looked at, you know, looked at over the last five or six years and, and been aware of what it's achieved in the US. But I think our vision is trying to get a golf club in the hands of as many people 
initiatives like Top Golf and some of the other things that are out there help do that. Now, not everyone's going to get a golf club in their hand and go, "This is this is me for life." But I think the more people that we can get to experience the game and hopefully give them a fun um, in, uh, time or experience with golf, then they're on that pathway and they're on that journey to perhaps you know playing more golf and, and really getting the bug and getting into the game. So there are some avenues to connect with young people. So that's really exciting for golf um, because the danger is if if our membership just keeps ageing and we're not connecting with um, with the younger audiences, then we're in trouble. I mean, I do still worry about the generation that's been brought up on tablets and devices, and I think every sport in Australia either is worrying about that or should be worrying about that. Uh, and there will be a challenge connecting with those kids um, and that's something that you know we need to, to be aware of and, and look at how we can do that. But in terms of the slightly older generation, I think golf has found a really strong resonance with that group. Um, they may not be as wedded to the club membership model as the generations that went before them, but there is a, a deep passion and enjoyment of, of the game, and that's really positive for golf. There's a lot of interesting reading in the report. Uh, if you love the game of golf, you can find all the data at Golf Australia. Stephen, thanks for uh, coming on and telling us a bit about it. Pleasure. Thank you very much, guys. Stephen Pitt, CEO of Golf Australia, and we could have, honestly we could do we could do one podcast dedicated to clubs and their willingness to open up the doors and make themselves more inclusive because. This is this is a and golf can survive. The numbers to, will tell you that golf in Australia can survive with non-member playing golfers because the numbers of, of rounds being played in Australia are up. Absolutely. Um, so the game can be okay without members, but if clubs want members, they need to be more inclusive and they need to broaden their perspective on what is an appropriate member. Particularly some of the golf clubs we've been lucky enough to play. You know, spend a lot of time playing at. A lot of them have got really stringent rules regarding you know what is an acceptable golfer. Oh, I'm just sketchy on the details at the moment, Andy. But there was a story overnight about Gold Coast Club in Southport uh, voting to open to let female members vote for the first time. I mean, it sounds like the 18, you know, teens, not 20 teens. It's crazy, hazy. Yeah, and, and they're the sort of things. Like if we're just working towards, um, you know, clubs coming out of that dark age, then we've got an issue. But encouragingly, out of that report, there were 36 percent of clubs around Australia that actually grew this yep, year for the yep. first time in a long time. That's happened. Um, uh, we've got to make sure that they all throw open their doors. Golf Month, which we'll talk about in another podcast coming up in October, and it's a real chance to, to for the clubs to really you know attract a whole new generation. And who cares what you wear? Just get them on the course and get them swinging. Look, I couldn't agree with you more. I went to Lake Carrigan uh, a couple of months ago. Had a Friday to Kilby Friday to work on the Saturday. Went and played you know fifteen holes. Just had a walk around. Friday afternoon, beautiful day in Perth, and. Um, Went up to get the cab at the end of 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon by the time I finished. There was a jumping castle. There's a bloke in the corner playing acoustic guitar. It's a real country club feel. There were mums and dads and kids all over the place. Blokes have had their round of golf, jumped in the pool, put the T-shirt on, nice shorts, got thongs on, no problems. And there were 200 people gathered around the golf club enjoying the amenity. How many clubs in Victoria, where we are, offer that sort of environment for their members? Uh, I think the only thing I've 
I've seen of comparison was I saw a Mr. Whippy truck on a junior day at Vic a couple of years back and I was stoked because, you know, it, it's just a, a step in the right direction. And, and you know, my, my golf club's been pretty good with juniors, as I mentioned earlier, but I know that these initiatives, even for a club that's got that, you know, the the heritage that Vic does have mm. and the kind of membership that we have, um, it's it's nice to see them loosening up just a little bit, but we've got leaps and bounds to be <laughs> yeah. to be made. We haven't got to the whippy truck at my club, Kerr Lewis, yet, Andy. But <laughs> I reckon uh, your club would be a fairly inclusive, welcoming. Oh, it's a very, it's a yeah. I don't think Kerr Lewis is one of the clubs that we're sort of potting, no. worried about. But, yeah, but it, uh, just as an example, Steve Brody, the pro, there he's got he wants to put out and he has put out a series of T markers up and down the fairway so that you know six year old kids can learn to play a full wedge into a green right. with their second shot to a par four. And it works its way back to 15-year-olds. And, and that's that's what you want. You want clubs to be go that extra yard, whether it's whippy vans, new tee markers, whatever. You just want clubs to throw open their doors and think about what it's going to look like mm. at that clubhouse in 25 years' time, whether it's going to be octogenarians, God bless them, or whether it's going to be full of thriving young people with their families. We need them all. Yeah, Everybody needs to be part of it. Uh, we've got some general business to get to before we – and we've got to hear from Mr. Hickory Sharp before we wrap it up. Don't forget, um, subscribe on iTunes. Um, you can hear the – download the app Stitcher and you can hear the show through. If you do subscribe through iTunes, give us a rating and tell us what you think about the show and spread the love. Uh, we want more people listening uh, to people talking about golf than, than not. We'll get Alan Groove up in a moment. Um, general business, though, just the bits and pieces we need to put in the mix before um, we get to the end of the show. I've got a heap of little bits and pieces. Wade Ormsby is the one that would, I was most happy about this week. You mentioned um, US Open qualifying at Walton Heath. He gets through. It's his, after all the golf that Wade Ormsby's played, I yeah. couldn't believe, I think I might have read it on your on Golf Australia or somewhere, that this is going to be his first major championship that he's qualified for, which yeah. staggers me. In 16 years as a professional. And he hasn't been... A, a spud, you know, just a journeyman. Right. He's actually been a really He's good been player. Quite successful, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, that just shows you how hard it is. And we take it for granted because you know Adam Scott's teeing up in his two and a half millionth major <laughs> at, at the at Aaron Hills in a couple of weeks. That that's what happens, and it's just not true. And Wade Ormsby, a great player, and and uh, you know, it's a tremendous credit to him that he stuck at this for so long, sixteen years as a pro. And now he's finally got his first crack at a major. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, it just goes to show with majors. Sometimes it's about being at the right place at the right time, having a good week at the right event where there happens to be qualifying on or just having a good day out uh, on the 36-hole qualifiers they have around the world. It's it's such a golden goose, the major, isn't it? Yeah. That, you know, it just it does go to show that you've got to be lucky to get in them. And another one who's um, playing his third major is Adam Bland, who qualified out of the Japanese tour. He finished third in the Mizuno Open uh, on the weekend, and that got him a spot through the Open Qualifying Series. So he'll be at Birkdale in July. Huge achievement. Great bloke. We're going to have him on the podcast within the next couple of weeks as well. Isn't that fantastic? Bowl up your bits of your, your general business bits and pieces on the way through. Yeah, well, I just in that same tournament, the Mizuno Open, they had four spots to, to go through to Birkdale, and the fifth place finish, or actually T4, was Wan Jun Lee. Yeah. We haven't heard of Wan Jun Lee in a thousand years. <laughs> I mean, he was the bloke, I don't know if you all remember, I'm sure you guys do. Uh, he was the one who pushed Craig Parry to the limits in the 2007 Australian Open. And you just think the sky's the limit for this guy. He's from Sydney, bombs the ball like you wouldn't believe. And he's been off the radar for, a, for an eon. He's in Asia going beautifully, but we never see him. And he was finished fourth here, T4, at his hands on a ticket to Birkdale, but his uh, world ranking cut his lunch. And I think another, I think it was the Japanese guy from memory, just pinched him courtesy yeah. of a high ranking. So good to see Wan Jun Lee um, back in calculations again. 
a bit of pro am golf being played around the place as well in the last week. Brett Rankin, and you know we talk about the top end stuff, obviously, but these guys are playing for anywhere between ten and thirty thousand dollars, kind of a day or over two or three days, depending on the duration of the event. Brett Rankin's had a pretty big week. He's won um, two tournaments on the pro am tour. I think I'm right in saying that. It's sometimes hard to know when these things are played in the context of the podcast. But James Marcazzani picked up a win. Ash Hall picked up a win, and Brett Rankin won two pro-ams during the week so you know Ash Hall's gearing he's he's got to keep his game in Nick because he's he's heading over for the Open Championship as well so these tournaments can play a really important role these events can play a really important role for a multiple of reasons yeah tournament golf is all about momentum to me and you and you need that when a schedule may or may not have an event for another two months so the the importance of these smaller events you know it's so easy to throw them away because of their prize funds but the reality is it takes just as much to win a tournament there. Obviously, maybe not on the world stage as most of the bigger events in Australia are, but it, you've, it's still it's, it's a learning experience and putting yourself in that experience more times is important. Yeah, and as you say, with Ash Hall, I mean, he's got the date at Royal Birkdale, courtesy of his finish at the Australian Open, mm. but he hasn't got really a place to play. He's a man without a card except mm. for the Australasian uh, PGA Tour. So he needs something now that that tour sort of sits idle for a couple of months between the West Australian PGA and the, the Fiji International. So, you know, he needs places to play and it's a great credit to the PGA of Australia that they, they do have all these opportunities available around the country. Just one last one before we did Mr Hickory Shaft and we'll put a tweet of this out. Most people have probably seen it because you love your golf and you follow the same people that we do, but a guy called Justin Ray who, I don't, I don't know who Justin Ray is, but he put out a tweet uh, this morning, you know, record time, um, and he admits that it's a meaningless statistic, but a statistic nonetheless. <laughs> They're the ones we love. We love them. Major championship, so go with me on this, major championship performance since the beginning of 2013, right? And he's compared Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy. Wins, two each. Rounds in the 60s, 21 each. Rounds played, 58 each. Strokes taken, 4,108 each on the number. No way. Scoring average, 70.83 on the button. Score to par in major championship performance since the beginning of 2013 in major championships, 18 under, the pair of them. Isn't that for all the golf they played <laughs> on, all the courses they played all over the world, in all the different conditions, the either halves of the draw and all of that sort of stuff? That's they one of the great stats. Absolutely identical numbers. Well, I'm going to pull you up on the last three because the last three all kind of mean well, the same thing. But I've got to point it out. No, but having <laughs> said that, I mean that that is absolutely. <laughs> You're it's pretty stunning, isn't it? Yeah, the more numbers you can chuck out, the more impressive it sounds. Sometimes <laughs> you couldn't baffle Ellie. You had me, but no, no, yeah, she, Ellie was all she, over she, it. She, I could tell half why she wasn't impressed. G'day, I'm my golf ambassador Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf. Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment, and just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. Before we wrap it up today, uh, we were talking about Hit Hickory. We spoke to you about Hit and Hickory um, Shafter Clubs earlier, and we spoke about it last week, and we've got the man on who is Mr. Hickory Shaft Australia. <laughs> yeah, we have. And last week, we, you know, I, I mentioned that there was a young, a young man called 
well, I didn't give his name, who won the Brisbane Golf Club monthly medal playing hickory shafts against all these technologically riddled opponents. And uh, <laughs> the answer to that question that I couldn't answer then was Alan Grieve. And I apologise, Alan, but welcome to the show, mate. Uh, it's great to have you on, and we want to hear a bit more about hickory golf. Mate, thank you for thank you for um, having a chat with me. That's great. It's a pleasure, mate. And this is—we'll talk about the monthly medal. But this is a passion of yours yeah. now. You've thrown the the medal sticks away, basically, haven't you? Correct. They've been—they I haven't touched them since mid last year. And you're playing off a handicap of? Uh, I'm down to six now. So I just think uh, that's an incredible yeah, that's an incredible yeah. achievement given the courses have stretched out over the years far from what hickory sticks are originally designed to, to be. Um, why have you done that? Is it more? Is it a feel thing? Is it just a passion for the traditions of the game? What what is it that's made you do that? Oh, it's, it's, I've always I've always had a hickory putter in the bag for twenty years or so, and um, about eight or nine years ago, I just decided to do a bit of research on it and bounce across the hickory golf and gone. Well, the golf game's a bit stale. It was just not going anywhere. It wasn't wasn't really enjoying golf itself, and this brought the passion back to golf. Right, mate. Um, let's let's cut. Let's cut to the chase here. You, you've you've rolled up at the Brisbane Golf Club. Uh, all these <laughs> yeah. guys with their fancy, you know, big-headed drivers and everything like that. Monthly medal, pegs at the back. Correct. Tees in the hard spots. Championship course, Queensland Open course, Australian Interstate Series course uh, last year, both. Yes. yes. And you've just smashed them. You've obliterated these choppers with their with their fancy <laughs> technology. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say I smashed it, mate. To be honest, I, I made a few putts. I only hit six screens and reds. And to shoot two over doing that, I rolled a few putts in. So in terms of um, you know yardage off tee, irons into greens, are you, yeah. Alan? Are you conceding much much territory um, yeah. to to the you know the modern equipment? Definitely, I'm, I'm giving probably fifteen to twenty percent across the board, all the way from driver down to down to your shortest clubs, um, which makes it a bit bit harder. But at the end of the day, you just you, you know, your handicap goes out a couple of shots to accommodate for that. So so be it. Yeah, sure. Alan, you mentioned that you're making it a bit harder. Now, I've played Brizzy Golf Club, and I know that it's yeah. pretty grainy up there. And the hickory-shafted <laughs> clubs have serious leading edges on them. Yeah. Of of all of the things to choose, you've kind of made it hard on yourself, haven't you? <laughs> I, I've always picked the ball up pretty clean, so I've never been a real big uh, digger. I've always been a sleeper in a, in a golf golf shop. So whether, I know the, the blades, they're actually traditional blade clubs, so... Yeah, you've got no, not a lot of room for error. <laughs> Alan, there's a, a, a growing community. I mean, a lot of people probably listening to this and thinking, oh, my God, I, I couldn't possibly get one off the ground. That's including me. I'm, an, I'm hopeless with them. But there's a growing oh, community. Uh, no, I wouldn't, mate. I, I tried them at Metro a few weeks ago, and I was terrible. I was like Ali, and I am a digger, so maybe that's the worst. But, the, you, you know, you have represented Australia before, and you've won the U.S. Hickory Open for, I'm not sure yeah. if that's titled correctly, in the Australian Hickory yeah, Open correct, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a you know legitimate band, a, a growing groundswell, I suppose, of players willing to do yeah. this with you. Yeah, there is. There is. I, I, yeah, it's um, it's slightly growing, and that's that's the whole idea. It's just promoting the Hickory game, which is all good. It's, it's a great fun day. Um, you can go out and shoot, you know, a low twenty number and stable for points for eighteen holes, and still have a smile on your face at the end of the day, which is which is different. Uh, which is fan- that's what you play golf for, isn't it? You couldn't Definitely. have said you couldn't have said it better. And, and are there ways for people to get in contact with the various state hickory associations or historical associations that play with hickory clubs? Yeah, there's, we've got we've got the Queensland chapter of the Australian Golf Heritage Society, um, based out of based out of Brisbane. Uh, the head 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 guys for that year are in Sydney, uh, the Australian 
Australian Golf Heritage Society, and then there's a there's a, a Golf Society of Australia which is based in Melbourne, um, and we're all we're all slowly moving together and, and um, trying to trying to grow the hickory game and the and the historical side of it as well. Alan, just to complete the picture a little bit, do you have to wear yeah. plus fours and an old man's <laughs> cap to pull out the hickory sticks? No, I do though. <laughs> I do. You do. Um, oh, of course I do. Um, I wear I wear the flat cap in winter because I don't want to wear a full brim in summer just because it's Queensland up here and you just want to get burnt. Um, but I do wear the plus fours um, because it just makes you feel it just makes makes the experience even better. Now let me ask you one last one before before I let you go. The the hickory yeah. the hickory shafted clubs were when they were being used were they were hitting a different type of golf ball. Does That's the modern correct, yeah. does the modern golf ball suit the club? Is that a dumb question to ask? No, it's not a dumb question to ask. Um, it's you've got to use a soft compression ball. So in any in, in the in the best than eighty compression, um, it feels okay. Hmm. So I use the Callaway Chrome Soft or the Callaway Super Soft. Um, I have used previously the Strix and Soft Fields and the Titleist DC Solo things because um, they're very low compression. So you get to feel the ball. You can feel the ball go into the club and then back out again, if that makes sense. It does. I imagine I imagine when you hear people talk about hitting the hickory shafted clubs, they yeah. talk about if you're good enough to find the sweet spot... It never, it never feels, yeah, but it never feels quite as sweet um, as maybe the sweet spot on a modern day club. Are you, oh, do you subscribe no. to? No, people have gone around the other way. You, you, you get one out of the middle of these guys, and it is just, oh, how good is that? Like, <laughs> you, you just, you can't describe it. And, and when you will, you will know when you get one out of the centre, and you just go, that is awesome. That is what you play golf for. Oh, see, that's a beautiful thing. So that's what the, that is what the game's all about, Alan. Hey, congratulations exactly. on, on, you know, on being part of a movement. And uh, may it gather some momentum and force on the way through. Thanks for joining us inside the ropes. That's all right. No drummers or car. I'll see you in Sydney for the Australian Hickory Champs or in Queensland for the Queensland Hickory Champs. Thanks, Alan. It sounds like Hazy okay. will be up there covering it rather than playing it, I think, by the no, sound. Come, come and play. You'll enjoy yourself. <laughs> Good on you. Alan Groove joining Thanks, us, man. who's done a world of work in um, promoting... Hickory Shafter Golf Club. And as he says, you can get in touch with the state associations and I'll be able to put you, you know, into the paths of the historical societies and they there's a regular playing sort of, uh, I guess, rota around yep. a lot of great clubs too, around the different capital cities in particular. And I just have to say though, and <laughs> I've got to confess, like I played with Hickory Sticks at Metropolitan a little while ago. It took me until the ninth tee to get one off the ground. <laughs> I, I haven't got that beautiful sweep that he was talking about. Oh, I was an absolute disgrace. It, it is a total different challenge, but I will vouch for the fact that it feels good if you get one up, not when. You? Uh, I haven't played with them in a very long time. Uh, I think the last time I hit one was when I borrowed a girl, uh, Katie Forbes, now Katie Jones, Steve Jones' wife. She played um, with a wooden driver in pennant actually she put it into place i think that's the last remotely hickory thing that i've touched (laughs) walking the fairways and the greens with the aussie stars at home and away golf australia's inside the ropes time now to find out what's making news in uh the local area here in queensland of course and Look, when it rains up in this neck of the woods, you too, it rains up there. I'm sure we've all been up there for golf trips and we've been hit by deluges which have just washed away days of 
trips here and there. Well, they got another one with Cyclone Debbie, and there was huge devastation all over the place, so it's not a laughing matter at all. But at the Carbrook Golf Club, which is in the hinterland out of Logan, that's my geography sort of right in that area of woods, they got particularly heavily hit. And um, Scott Wagstaff is the general manager of the Carbrook Golf Club, and he's been good enough to join us. Hi, Scott. How are you, mate? Hi, guys. I'm, I'm well, thank you. Have you dried out? We have now. We're about two months past the the bad stuff, and um, the course is starting to look really good again. But yeah, it's been a been a tough couple of months, that's for sure. I'm sure, it's going to be a story that a lot of other golf clubs around Queensland can identify with. But just give us the data. How much? How long did the rain come down for, and how much did did how much actually hit your golf club? Yeah, the ironic part was that we only got about 150 mils on our property, which is a fair fair bit of rain, but nothing substantial enough to cause the damage that happened. But in parts of the catchment, they got up to 850 mils in 24 hours. Wow. Um, so that obviously had to reach the ocean, and it came uh, through the Logan and Albert Rivers in this part of the world, and both those rivers, um, you know, they, they flooded really, really badly. So um, five golf clubs in this part were caught up with the flooding, uh, ours being one of them. But, yeah, it sort of... Uh, come down heavily just in one day, and then the next day the river started to sort of burst its banks, which was Friday the 31st of March. And um, only, oh, it only took a few hours from the time that the the river sort of started to come over the um, banks. About four hours later, we were evacuating the club just because we uh, had to drive through about two feet of water to get everyone out. So it all happened pretty quick. It's pretty incredible stuff, and I know that when these you know, disasters happen often, you know, the, the cleanup is um, pretty pretty tragic at times. Uh, I took a look at a couple of the pictures from what from after the, the aftermath and there was so much mud and any golfer yeah. knows that that's usually the, the main problem after storms like this is actually the mud and how it drowns out the grass. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, the, the water stayed up for about four days. So we had 11 of our 19 greens underwater for that four days, um, which um, we're a bit obviously concerned about, but um, it didn't seem to affect them too badly. Obviously, the super had a, a bit of a battle with funguses and whatever, but um, what, you know, exactly what you're saying, Alison, the mud that's left is, um, it's just horrendous. I mean, it's, you know, up to maybe a couple of feet deep in certain parts, um, but the smell is horrendous. Um, you can't, it's so slippery, you know, it's it's dangerous. It took us a couple of weeks, really, to get to some parts of the course, um, just because it was so muddy and slippery. Um, but yeah, the, you walk in and just the devastation hits you, and you just you're looking at, you know, we've got 92 hectares of land that is pretty much all covered in mud, and you just you don't know where to start. That's the reality of it. You sort of stand there going, "How how the hell are we going to recover from this?" And Waggy. Ironically, one of the problems, or how to address one of the problems that Alison mentioned there, is you're actually hosing off a lot of the mud. Yeah, well, obviously the focus initially is on the greens and getting the mud off the greens because they're your biggest asset. Um, so um, from the moment that we got in, um, which was the Monday, um, mid sort of morning, the, the green staff and the volunteers that were here all just uh, moved out to each green that was damaged and, and had silt on it. And really that was, unfortunately, we had still had power. So our, our pump system allowed us to use the, um, you know, our, our water supply to, to hose off the greens. 
Um, but some some of the greens had oh, maybe a foot of silt, so it wasn't a matter of hosing them first. You had to scrape it off with a variety of different things. We ended up using a little bunker rake machine, which is like a little quad bike with a blade on it to sort of scrape the mud off the green before we could start hosing it. And then it's a squeegee and hose um, type thing. But each green takes, you know, probably half a day to recover. Um, to you know, just get the and I mean, you don't remove all the all the silt. That sort of takes time to to recover, and we'll need to renovate um, at some point this year just to try and get rid of that that layer of silt. So, Scott, what other horror stories have you heard? I mean, the clubs in the far north there, you know, Bowen and Proserpine and Collinsville were among those hard hit as well. But down in your area. Um, Mount Warren Park and Windery Lakes as well. That they've all copped a hiding in in uh, in different respects. What have you heard from your uh, contemporaries there about you know the the troubles that they're confronting as well? Um, yeah, well, I guess we're all still struggling. Um, you know, some have possibly recovered quicker than others. We've spent almost twenty five grand just on machines to try and remove the mud. So try and get us back into shape as quick as possible. Um, but, you know, some of the clubs maybe, um, some of them gone to that expense, some of them haven't. So they're still dealing with mud um, in certain parts of their course. And because the, the floods hit very late in the growing season, the growth is there to sort of get the grass to grow through the mud. So I know that they're, they're still struggling. The condition of the courses aren't, aren't as good as, the, as you'd expect, obviously. Um, and I reckon... Probably all five clubs that were affected are going to feel that for the next 12 months. You know, we've got scars that unfortunately just haven't healed, so they'll stay with us until um, it starts to grow again. Scott, what's the reaction of your membership been in terms of, uh, you know, obviously not having a golf course that they're used to playing, but also, you know, the feeling of community? Yeah, well, I think that's one thing that's hit me in out of all crappy things that happen, you know, some good stuff comes out and our club's got an amazing spirit and that that sort of shone through through this experience. You know, we had, um, you know, we've only got six green staff, so you, you can't expect those guys to do it all on their own. But we had, um, I think we did it pretty well. You know, we used our booking system where the members would normally book for their games of golf, but we created working bees online so we could manage the volunteers that turned up so they knew when to turn up and we had a register of when they turned up so we we had jobs allocated for them we knew in advance that on one occasion we had 70 turn up at 7am in the morning and another 40 turn up in the afternoon so we had 110 on one particular day um so the amount of work you can get done with that amount of people is incredible so um our members have just been unbelievable i mean there were people here that weren't even members that came and helped um, you know, there was just a, you know, out of, out of all this terrible stuff has come some good stuff. So, uh, oh. so the, the club spirit is is stronger than ever. What an affirming thing to hear, isn't it? I mean, that's you, sometimes we say Scotty Golf Club, and it's you know the word club is kind of tacked on. It's just a place where people go to play golf. But the the true meaning of the word club is um, you've you've seen it on display. Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's like minded people. Um, doing an activity they enjoy doing. So, um, I mean, all of our members were just so keen to help in whatever way they could. Um, we, we actually just did a raffle. We, um, just as a side note, we um, asked a few of our partners and um, people, you know, that could help us out and some golf clubs, PJ helped us out and um, we, we had about 12 prizes and we raised um, 
11,650 just mm. through a raffle that's um, given us a nice little help into the next few months. So, um, yeah, it's been amazing, really, the, the amount of help that's been out there for us. Right, mate. Something maybe a little less sort of uh, gruesome in to discuss. Well, it might be gruesome for someone one day, but uh, your club is famously home to a, at least one, maybe more sharks in the dam there, and it's incorporated even into the the club's logo, which is fantastic. Yeah, yep. we're led to believe that there's uh, not so many sharks left in the dam now. When we know the Logan River's pretty close, what's going on? Are we going to have a Jaws outbreak? <laughs> Well, it's a very good question. I've, I've been asked that a couple of times, and the reality is I don't know at this point what's happened with the sharks. That's how they got in there. Um, so they may well have escaped, but we may have gained a few. Um, I'm looking at it positively, so there might be some some fresh um, fresh sharks in the lake. We'll see what happens. But I, the water's still quite murky, so over the next um, month or so I'll probably throw a little bit of meat in the water and and see what I can bring in. I'm pretty sure um, this is this is a plot to a movie, isn't it, Scott? I think it's called Sharknado, except it's... <laughs> we'll have to come up with a, a new title, perhaps, for for a cyclone in our part of the world. Sharklone. Yeah. Well, well done, Hazel. I like it. I like it. Well, yeah. knows where to, like, like, if the sharks are actually gone, given the fact that they are synonymous with your golf club, will you actually have to go and get another shark or two and stick them back in the dam? Is, is this something that you've actually kicked around over a quiet beer at the end of a hard day's work? Oh, look, to be honest, it's something we have talked around the table about. I mean, <laughs> our, our whole brand is built on um, the shark, um, you know, the shark thing. So, um, But, yeah, look, oh, um, it, it, it was great for us maybe six or so years ago, and that was a real highlight and people came. But I think hopefully people now are coming because of the quality of the golf course and the shark thing is just a bit of a um, bit of fun. Uh, mate, there's not a lot of fun to be had about this. Uh, it's obviously, you know, a, a devastating thing for everybody in the region and not just from a golfing perspective. I mean, this has hit, uh, obviously, a whole lot of Queensland residents, you know, particularly hard. But we're talking golf and um, we're sorry to hear that, you know, you and other local clubs have had to, you know, right across Queensland have had the um, devastation rain down upon them that you have. But, you know, we're all bored by the fact that everybody chips in and tries to get the club back online, uh, the course back online as quickly as they can. Thanks for coming on and telling us about it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for taking an interest in Thanks, the club. Scott. Cheers. Not at all. Uh, Scott Wagstaff, General Manager of the Carbrook Golf Club. And just a housekeeping matter there, yeah. Andy, for anyone listening in Queensland now who's who's uh, still affected by these floods uh, and other damage as a result of Cyclone Debbie. Um, the Queensland Department of Sport and Recreation, in, in uh, collaboration with Golf Queensland, has, has actually employed a, a, a contracted grant writer to make sure that every club gets the maximum entitlement to help them uh, get back on their feet. So uh, contact Golf Queensland, and they'll put you in touch with the guy who can write the grants and get you as much money as you can so we can all get it back out and playing golf as soon as we can. What a good thing. Uh, that's it for Inside the Ropes Queensland Edition. Thanks, Al. We'll see you again soon, Hazy. We'll see you next week. Cheers, Andy. Thanks for listening, folks.